Welcome to the September 19th ASF Weekly Science Podcast. This is Alicia Halliday, CSO of ASF. We've had some longer podcasts these last couple weeks, so today I'm going to give you a quickie, a quick report on the uses of psychedelics to treat the core features of autism. What's psychedelics? Well, a new study on cannabis, which you've heard about before, and also a new report on ketamine. Now, all of them are still preliminary and they're promising, but don't, that doesn't mean just go out and try it. It means be open to it, but the science is still not definitive yet. You may have heard about these new studies on the internets. First, cannabis. Even though everyone is taking it, there seem to be very few studies looking at it. And of those studies, none have really been all that great in determining whether or not there's credible evidence that CBD or THC or cannabis as a whole with them both is effective in treating the core symptoms of autism or even comorbid conditions like anxiety, depression, or seizures. Well, yes, Epidiolex has been shown to help people with seizures and is FDA approved, but there's no actual data around autism and seizures. Very little research has been conducted in the U.S. because the drug laws in the U.S. are so backwards that it stifles any hope of getting the right permissions to do the research. If I were a researcher, I'd probably stay away too. It's too much of a headache. Shout out to institutions like UCLA who have programs studying this and are fighting the good fight. And to neurologists like Oren Davinsky who slog through the red tape every day to help his patients. Anyway, that trend continues with unconclusive research studies, unfortunately. Most of the studies, including the ones I'll talk about, are still preliminary or poorly designed. The first one is open label, meaning there's no control group and everybody knows that everybody's on it because everybody's on the medication and they follow them across time. So the clinicians, the parents, and the people themselves, they all know that they're getting cannabis oil. This introduces a lot of bias into the results, but it is what it is. Oh, and many of these studies are being done in Israel and Brazil, so bravo to them for being able to move this research forward. Two studies this week looked at CBD-enriched cannabis. They were two different countries, one in Brazil, one in Israel, two different products with different ratios of CBD to THC. Now, as a reminder, when we talk about cannabis, cannabis is the plant. It's made up of different compounds which target the cannabinoid system in the body. Believe it or not, our brains actually have receptors which are targeted by CBD and THC. The first one, THC, is psychoactive. That's what gives you the munchies and makes you believe that everything is so serious and profound. The other is CBD or cannabidiol. It does not have any psychoactive effects. And it's the same stuff in Epidiolex, that drug approved by the FDA to treat seizures in those with some rare genetic disorders. However, they both come in the same plant, and that plant is listed as a Schedule One with the, quote, high abuse potential and limited clinical use, end quote. 
so it's rarely able to get studied. Cocaine and methamphetamine have a better chance of getting researched. This is true. So the first study was open label and a pre and post looking at before and after treatment. Now it's not a randomized controlled trial, but it's a start. The study used an oil that was 20 part CBD for every one part THC. Keep that ratio in mind. It's not all CBD, there is THC in it. Previous studies mostly rely on parental reports. This study looked at both clinician reports as well as parental reports in five to 25 year olds. They looked not just at autism features, but at cognition and adaptive behavior. Now, looking at clinical reports and observations from clinicians, in addition to parental reports, individuals showed improvements on social communication using a clinical report and restrictive and repetitive behaviors using a parent report. One interesting thing is that the parent report and the clinician report didn't really match when you looked at the same person across time. They were what's called poorly correlated. This means the clinicians and parents rated things differently when they used different instruments. Some were designed for clinicians and others for parents. Unfortunately, this doesn't bode well for any other study, in my opinion. Some of these measures are not reliable. There were no changes in cognitive ability, but improvements in adaptive behavior. I guess the good news is, is that pot didn't cause any cognitive problems or changes in IQ. That's what the film Reefer Madness would have you believe. Also interesting is that those with higher severity scores showed the most improvement. This could be because they either had a differential response or the improvement was easier to see. Either way, more studies are needed like a randomized control trial. Unfortunately, that randomized control trial was done in Brazil using a different CBD-rich cannabis product. This one had a 9 to 1 CBD to THC ratio. Unfortunately, the study had a lot of issues. It was 12 weeks versus six months, which is fine, and everybody got some sort of oil. There was a placebo, so either got they got the CBD-rich cannabis oil or just a regular oil. They were putting it on their tongue a couple times a day. What they used to look at outcomes was called something called the Autism Treatment Evaluation Checklist. I've seen it used before, but it's not very rigorous. It was only done in children, and the ATEC is actually just a parent-reported interview. The study did look at renal and liver function, which is good because it provides safety data. There were also only about 25 boys in each group, and six girls in the cannabis group, and two in the control group. So fewer girls really aren't that unusual, but I'm not really sure you can see anything if you compare six to two girls. They only saw changes in social interaction and psychomotor agitation and a tiny effect on anxiety. There was also no difference in sleep, which I found a little surprising, but they did find an increase in eating. Shocker. But for kids who just will not eat, this can be a really good thing. And all lab results were in normal limits. By the way, both of these studies were conducted during COVID, so good luck, in, good luck interpreting that confound. So no study is perfect, but the government needs to remove cannabis from Schedule 1 and put it on a Schedule 2 where methamphetamine is so more research can be done. The horse has really left the barn. People are using CBD products. And if Israel and Brazil can do it, so can the U.S. Now on to another psychoactive medication and psychedelic. It's not CBD. It's something called ketamine. 
Ketamine, like as I like to tell my student was when I was a lecturer, is a cat tranquilizer turned psychedelic therapy. It's been used as a pediatric anesthetic and it's had this amazing efficacy in treatment refractory depression and PTSD, which is really great. Treatment refractory depression and PTSD are two conditions that are incredibly hard to treat. It's usually given it as an infusion or a nasal spray and it can really be life-changing. There's been talk in the developmental disorders community for a while wondering if it can work in those with neurodevelopmental disorders and how. It works on a different mechanism in the brain compared to CBD. Is it safe? And if it does work, what does that say about the mechanism of autism in the brain? To ask this, researchers at the Seaver Autism Center at Mount Sinai School of Medicine focused on 10 kids with something called ADNP syndrome. ADNP syndrome is a rare condition, but it causes intellectual disability and in some cases autism. They have growth problems, motor issues, visual abnormalities, GI problems, including feeding, intellectual disorders, anxiety, and sleep problems. It's caused by, you guessed it, mutations in the ADNP gene, which is called activity-dependent neuroprotective protein. The ADNP Kids Foundation funded a project here because a machine learning software matched ketamine or the mechanism of ketamine to a potential therapeutic in ADNP syndrome based on research done in that disorder. Don't worry, I'm not going to quiz you on all these abbreviations, but a computer matched ketamine is a potential treatment target. So they tried it in an experimental setting. I can respect this. Nobody was telling anyone to go buy ketamine and do it at home. It was done in a safe place, a hospital for Christ's sake, where they got a single infusion and were watched for a month. They weren't looking at autism specific behaviors. They were looking at a whole bunch of things. In fact, only four of the kids out of 10 in the study had an autism diagnosis to begin with. But their cognitive ability was severely impaired in all of them. We're talking an IQ score of 30 and below. Intellectual disability starts at 70 and below. So this is a profoundly affected community of neurodevelopmental disorders. They also collected brain activity data and a number of outcomes using different instruments that sometimes overlapped, which was good. They could see how people responded on one versus another looking at the same outcome. And they were caregiver or clinician delivered. I forgot to mention that this was another open label. There was no control group. Yet they started with following kids over time after an infusion and everybody knew what they were getting. They were all getting the ketamine. Early results showed that it improved inattention and hyperactivity, which is good because a lot of them, more than autism, a lot of them have ADHD. It also improved sensory reactivity, social behavior, and restrictive and repetitive behaviors. Some of these improvements lasted for a whole month after treatment. There were really a lot of measures and a lot of analyses given that there was parent reported measures and clinician reported measures and about a half a dozen in each. So the results are really, really early. However, there were some side effects. Aggression was seen in four out of 10 kids and half of them appeared elated or silly. I don't think elated or silly is the worst thing in the world, but four of them also showed fatigue. More studies really need to be done. This was open label. The clinician and especially the parent who's traveling to Seaver and having their kid exposed to ketamine is probably a little bit biased about the outcome. 
It wasn't idiopathic autism, so who knows if it will work in kids without a genetic syndrome or even kids with a different genetic syndrome. But after they do some more statistical analysis and increase the number of kids, I hope they look at it again. Also, there were seven boys and three girls in the study. There's that. And by the way, I'm not calling them out on anything they didn't already call them out themselves about. They agree they need to do another study, and they want to look at ADNP expression after ketamine to see if it changed anything on a molecular level. So don't go out and give your kids ketamine, but it's interesting to see that scientists are thinking out of the box and trying to incorporate novel therapies like psychedelics when it comes to helping those across the spectrum. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.